So this morning, if you uh, happen to see me scratching at any point during the sermon, that's because uh, we just came back from our youth uh, camp out. We had a wind up and we camped in a beautiful spot out in uh, a pasture near Caden and Maddie's place up near the Turtle Mountains. And beautiful location. We had a great time. The only problem is there was a couple of ants or maybe a couple million ants. I'm not sure which, but... There was just a few, and it only took a couple to get into my tent, I'm guessing, while I slept, because I've got about 43 ant bites, kind of different locations. Leanne wondered why I was up at 2.30 last night, and I was applying the itch stuff to as many spots as I could find, because if you've ever been bit by ants, it kind of, you know, one or two, but 43, it just kind of builds up, and it's hot spots, you know, so. Uh, but I would do it again. It was worth it. We had, a, we had an awesome time, so... Uh, yeah, just one of the small prices we pay in our, in our youth ministry, so it's well worth it. I would invite you to bow with me now once more, and let's pray as we enter God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this moment we have to come together as a church family to worship you and to also hear from you. And so, Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our minds in this moment to receive what you have for us today. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your heart for us in all that you do and all that you say towards us is love, including when you discipline, including when you rebuke. It is done out of love. And so, Lord, I pray that we would hear your word for us today and that we would know that you come to us, everyone, from a place of love, that you desire us to walk closely with you. And so I pray, Lord, that we would leave here today with that desire to walk closely with you. And so I pray, Lord, speak through this word, through me, your servant. Give me the boldness to speak these words that you've laid on my heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said earlier, <clears throat> this is my, my 15th straight Sunday preaching. And before that uh, period began, it was on March the 6th, of 2020 BCE, that is the before COVID era, that's what I'm calling it. So on March 6, 2020 BCE, before COVID era, I began a sermon series which I entitled Understanding the Present Time, and I based it on Romans chapter 13, verse 11, which says, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Well, I don't have to tell you that today that word is just as true and just as urgent as it ever has been. In fact, I would argue that it's more urgent than when I preached it back on March the 6th for the simple reason that the day is still closer than it was when I talked about it then. The day of the Lord's return, the day of us either going to be with him through death or him coming to us, as we sang in multiple songs this morning, I don't know if you picked it up, but when the trumpet sounds, we sang that when, in the days of Elijah, he's coming on the clouds of glory. This is the day that we are anticipating, and it is closer today than when we first believed. And so it's still time for us to wake up, as Paul said, to wake up, to grow up, to put on the armor of light, and to look up in anticipation for Jesus' return. 
And adding to that urgency, as I talked about back in that sermon series, is that the signs of birth pains that Jesus foretold would happen during the earth's last age prior to his return, those birth pains are steadily increasing in both their frequency and intensity. Of course, way back on March the 6th, I had no idea. I had no idea. None of us did what was yet ahead in the next three months. March the 6th, I was thinking in a general sense, you know, some things are are getting pretty interesting. Of course, I was thinking about the biggest news stories of the day. Let me see if you remember any of them. These happened in 2020, which I thought were going to be the biggest news stories of the year. Things like the United States drone missile assassination of the Iranian general who led Hezbollah. Remember that? Or the subsequent Iranian missile strike on a U.S. military base in return, striking fears of maybe this was going to start a big Middle East war. Or then, in the, in the whole aftermath of that, they accidentally shot down a passenger airliner, killing hundreds of people, including dozens of Canadians. Or perhaps the wildfires in Australia. Remember those? That was a pretty big news story. We thought that would dominate the headlines for the year. Or maybe it would be those railroad blockades right here in Canada. Anyone remember those? It feels like that was years ago, doesn't it? That was just three, four, five months ago. And now, what has all happened since? We've seen a global pandemic. We've seen stay-at-home lockdown. We've seen the inevitable economic crash that is following. Millions of people out of work. Entire industries being decimated. We've also, in this period of time, seen the biggest single mass murder in Canadian history out on the East Coast. We've seen, just in recent weeks, violent riots happening in nearly every major U.S. city. Also in Europe, these these are happening as well. We've seen protesters chanting, defund the police, as though anarchy is a good sign that we should pull back law enforcement. We've seen tearing down of historical figures, statues, We've seen right here in Canada Sir John A. Macdonald's statue being, being uh, defaced. We've seen an, an effort to almost erase history because there's some things that happened back there or beliefs that we don't like today. But we've seen again and again in our his- historical record that whenever we try to erase history, the infamous when we burn books, people are soon to follow as we saw happen in the Holocaust and in Germany. And yet history, we see once again, those who don't learn from it are doomed to repeat it. And I could go on and on, but this is just the the top marks, high water points of what we've been seeing in these past weeks and months. And I hate to say it to you, but we're only six months through 2020. (laughs) We're halfway. (laughs) We're halfway. And if you've been watching the news at all, I try to turn it off as much as I can, but If you've been watching it at all, you know there's kind of a big election coming up somewhere down in November, which promises to be the most contentious, volatile United States election, presidential election in history. And so we can be guaranteed there's going to be more than a few twists and turns coming up in this year yet to come. Now, I put all of this as a backdrop to say this. Anyone with a basic knowledge of biblical end times prophecy can clearly see the stage is continuing to be set for the final act of history before Jesus' return. Now for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus Christ, 
This should not come as a surprise to us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul wrote this. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. There will be terrible times in the last days. Mark this. You can be guaranteed it is a certainty. And now it is an undeniable fact, as I just shared, our world is heading into ever-increasing turmoil, and I believe that we are beginning to reap what we have sown for many decades. Here, our nation was founded under God as the dominion of Canada. Dominion from sea to sea to sea under Canada, with our rule of law being founded explicitly upon Judeo-Biblical principles. However, we've seen over the decades, as a culture, we have undermined that foundation by having steadily pushed God and his law and his truth to the side in almost every aspect of life. Essentially saying, we know better. We don't need you, God. We don't need you dictating to us what is right and what is wrong. And it is no coincidence that during these decades, this occurrence went hand in hand with the rise of moral relativism. I've talked about that in previous sermons. Moral relativism, where the truth becomes whatever we want it to be. And as the biblical phrase goes, everyone just does what is right in their own eyes. You decide what's right for you, I'll decide what's right for me, and we'll just all carry on, no matter what or how depraved it may be. Of course, this flips morality upside down. It flips it on its head. And what God says is right becomes wrong, And what God says is wrong becomes right. And we're also seeing in all of this the ever-increasing breakdown of civility. We've heard this term used a lot lately about how there's, there's no civility left in the political arena anymore. Where reason, debate, dialogue, and, and agreeing to disagree without personal ad hominem attacks, well, that just seems to have entirely left the building. We've seen it happen in our halls of government. We've seen it happen in our news media. We've seen it happen on our own social media platforms. Civil discourse seems to be the exception, not the norm. Now the norm is taking offense, looking for reasons to take offense, looking for reasons to become angry and outraged, virtue signaling on which side of the argument we happen to be on, and ultimately whoever can yell the loudest and be the angriest, well, that's just the new public currency. Even for someone to simply disagree with whatever the latest so-called woke position is, well, that's no longer politely tolerated. But now anyone who is in disagreement must be publicly shamed, silenced, and quite often you've probably been noticing losing their jobs. This is becoming the new normal. That phrase gets used a lot. While this new normal, I'm not a big fan of. We have to look no further than our 24-hour news cycle. I said before, I try to tune it out because it's relentless. You know how the media spins the news. They don't present the news, right? It is a production. They present it to us in a narrative form that they craft. They decide what the news is and what it means. It's not just in what they say, but it's in how they say it. And it's also in what they don't say. Most of the time, you have only to read a news headline to know which way they are spinning the story. Never mind what they are saying in very serious tones today might directly contradict what they just said in very serious tones yesterday. Never mind that. 
Don't ask questions. Don't, don't use logic or reason. The overall message is just believe us because we are here behind a desk looking at you and talking in serious tones and we are citing the experts so therefore we know what is happening. Believe us. We see this happening all over our world today. The narrative is being crafted, fed to us by our news media. Once again, for the Christian, this should come as no surprise to us. It is a call for us to exercise diligent discernment. Jesus and all the apostles warned us repeatedly that the hallmark of the last days would be mass spiritual deception. In Jesus' last day's teaching in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5, this is what he said. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Then in verses 10 to 11, at that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Then in verse 24, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So here we see we should not be surprised about mass deception, but instead be on guard against it. Because take note that Jesus says that in fact in the last days many will turn away from the faith that many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. And yes, Jesus is talking about many professing Christians falling away, turning away, being deceived. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-4, to 4, the Apostle Paul writes, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Sadly, what the Apostle Paul foretold nearly 1,900 years ago, we don't have to look very far to see this happening, do we? In fact, not enduring sound doctrine is fast becoming normal within many modern evangelical churches, including within many Mennonite churches right now. It's happening. Prophecy is being fulfilled. Today, holding to Scripture, calling out sin as actually sin, and naming specific sins that the Bible names as specific sins, Things that condemn us before a holy God that happens less and less. And the truth that if we have not repented of those specific sins and placed faith in Jesus Christ, that upon our death God will cast us into a literal lake of fire where we will be separated from him for all of eternity, tormented. This is rarely, if ever, mentioned anymore. Yet did you know that in, in the scriptures, in the gospels, Jesus spoke about hell far more often than he spoke about heaven? Why? Because he was warning us. This is a real place that you need to take seriously. But instead, what we've done is exactly what the apostle Paul prophesied. We've gathered for ourselves preachers and teachers who say what we want to hear that meets our heart's desires, our carnal desires. Things like, 
Following God will automatically put my life on easy street. And God is going to make me healthy and wealthy. Or things like certain sins are not really sins. Or things like God is so loving that he won't send anyone to hell. You know where these teachings are really coming from? Where all these ear-tickling lies are stemming from? They are coming from Satan and the deceiving spirits that serve him. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said it clearly. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Again, discernment and biblical knowledge and wisdom must be applied diligently in the days in which we are living. Now I invite you to turn with me to the book of Jude, chapter 1. There only is one chapter, in case you're wondering. Verses 17 to 19. Now though he would never even be so bold as to claim the title, Jude, we know the author of this book, was the brother of our Lord Jesus. The son of Mary and Joseph, younger brother, of course. Initially, we know that the family did not believe in him. Later, of course, Jude and the entire family came to be convinced of who this brother really was. And he calls him his Lord. That's a big deal. He wouldn't claim the title, though he could have, of brother. He calls him his Lord. And that's who he's talking about here when he writes these words in verses 17 to 19. And he's speaking to the church. He says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. So here we see another word talking about these in positions of authority, whether in the, in the secular arena or within the church, not filled by the Spirit, instead using their own spirit, their own carnal desires, cleverly teaching, manipulating, but ultimately bringing division. And we don't have to look very far to see our world being divided into little itty-bitty bites, putting a label on you, 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 and now you fight each other. Because everyone has something against each other. Bringing division, divide and conquer. This is Satan's classic strategy, and we see it happening. And he wants to do it within the church, as he has many times in the past. And so according to the Lord Jesus, and according to the Apostle Paul, filled and inspired by the Holy Spirit, they consistently say the hallmarks of the last days will be mass deception, false teachers, division, including within the church with many Christians no longer enduring sound doctrine, leading to many having their hearts turn cold, falling away, drifting away, and even abandoning the faith entirely. So as Christians, as a church family, how do we respond to all of this? Now I'll admit that what I've seen going on in the world in these last weeks and months and, and looking at scripture of what the Lord has foretold and putting the pieces together and seeing the picture emerge, I'll admit that there's a part of me that sees all of this and I just want to build a bunker. <laughs> and I just want to get down in that bunker and just chill. <laughs> just hang out, hide out until like, 
you know, the end comes, Jesus, the trumpet sounds like, all right, here we go, I'm out of here. There's a part of me that wants that. But I'll tell you what part of, of me that is. That is my own desires. That is not the Spirit's desires. And so I have to confront those earthly desires for my own preservation and safety and shrinking back and hiding. I have to confront that with the Spirit of truth that that's not the answer for us as believers to go down in a bunker. Because the truth is, none of this is just going to go away. None of this is just going to blow over. Because remember when Jesus talked about labor pains beginning. Labor pains, they don't just turn off all of a sudden. Yeah, there may be a lull for a moment or an hour or two. There may be times where it's not as intense. But once they've begun, labor pains will increase until the child is delivered. And so too... The labor pains of this world, there might be lulls along the way, but the trend is increasing, increasing, increasing in intensity and frequency until Jesus is revealed. So what do we do? Jude tells us, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he gives us the answer as believers. What do we do in the face of all of this? He says, but you, dear friends... Build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So here's what Jude's saying. Let me break it down. In light of all these things, we are told to, one, build yourself up in your faith. Build yourself up. Exercise yourself exercise your faith, be built up. Secondly, he says, pray in the Spirit. That's not just a you know, quick prayer before your mealtime. Praying in the Spirit, spending time with the Lord, letting the Spirit guide your prayers. Because remember, prayer is as much having our will aligned to God as it us, as it has us telling God what to do. Okay, God, I want you to do this. God, I want you to do that. He's like, whoa, hold on. I want you to stop and listen for a minute because i got to change some things in here. Pray in the Spirit. Thirdly, keep yourself in God's love. Now, does that sound legalistic? It's up to us to keep ourselves in God's love? Well, in a sense, yes. Not legalistic unto salvation, but to the relationship. One of the great illustrations that I've always heard in relation to this goes like this. God is love. He cannot turn off his love. That's who he is. It is his essence. God is love. He is like the sun that is continually shining in the sky, never turns off. But we who are the recipients of that love, we can allow things to come between us and the sunshine. Our sin is like a cloud that comes between us and God. On that dark day when the the sun's still shining, the love of God is still being sent. But if we are going to remain in willful sin, letting that become a barrier, we are not keeping ourselves in God's love. The cloud is separating us. God still loves us. That doesn't change. But we need to keep ourselves in God's love through right relationship. So if sin is there, repent. Confess it. Get rid of it. Remain in his love. Keep yourself in in God's love. That's the third thing we are to do. And then fourthly, we are to wait patiently for Jesus to bring us to to eternal life. Wait patiently. There's other verses that talk about with endurance, right? There's there's a persevering aspect to this, that yeah, this is is a, a time that we're in and 
most likely heading further into where there's going to be rough roads and times of testing, times of perhaps even persecution that we are going to have to face. But we are to wait patiently, knowing that Jesus is going to bring us to eternal life. That is what is coming, my friends. And so we have that as our firm hope an anchor for our souls, and so we wait with endurance, with expectation. And so now, I truly believe that it's at this moment in history, in our generation, that each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, those who profess his name, I believe is this moment in our lives, in our generation, that we have to stop and look deep within ourselves and ask a question, or a series of questions, but they all boil down to this one. In the face of all of these things, what will I do? Will I shrink back and hide? Or will I step up and stand firm? What will I do? Will I shrink back from living out and speaking out about my faith in Jesus Christ in order to just blend in with the world? Will I just go along to get along so as not to become a target? Will I drift away from Christian fellowship, corporate worship, and faithful service to the body? Will I just kind of let it go? Sure, yeah, I'll still say I'm a Christian, but none of those things are really a priority in my life anymore. Or will I step up and stand firm? Will I build up my faith by diving deeper into my relationship with the Lord? Will I exercise that faith by putting it into action through service? Will I be persistent in my prayer life, praying in the Spirit? Will I keep myself in God's love through relationship, through right attitude and heart towards Him, dealing with sin? Will I be in worship, Will I be obedient? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 tells us, Do not give up meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. So as we see Jesus return steadily approaching, steadily drawing near, we are called not to shrink back from church, not to shrink back from fellowship, not to shrink back from worship, but instead he says, all the more do these things. Because my friends, we need more encouragement, not less. We need more fellowship, not less. We need more service, not less. We need more passion, not less. My friends, in the days that are coming, if we think that just a simmering, simpering faith with no real passion for the Lord is going to get us through, we need to give our heads a shake. It's not going to cut it. I'm not saying that legalistically. I'm only repeating what the Lord and His Word says to each one of us. Will I double down on faithfully attending and serving Christ's body through my local church? And finally, will I become more bold in my witness and willing, yes, willing to risk it all in order to keep spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ? Continuing in verse 22, Jude tells us, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. 
To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. You see, showing mercy to the doubtful or saving others from the fire will not happen unless we are willing to take risks, willing to put our faith into real and tangible action. Those things simply will not happen if we dig that bunker and hide out down there. We can't do anything from that bunker. We're not going to accomplish much if we're just in spiritual apathy and laziness, just hanging out in our couch all day. You see, building up our most holy faith doesn't happen without diligence and effort and passion and self-sacrifice, as Jesus said, denying ourselves. The Bible tells us to be imitators of Christ and that anyone who claims to be in Christ must walk as Jesus did. So ask yourself, in these last days, however many of them are left, will I shrink back and hide Or will I step up and stand firm? I realize these are pointed questions. (sighs) Because God's been asking me them all week. But they are important questions. They are vital questions. Ones that demand an answer and not a half-hearted one. A real long look inside our hearts and a real long moment spent with the Lord is required to truthfully and honestly answer these questions. Because our Lord Jesus asked an even more pointed question in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, where he asked this, When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? So think about that. If Jesus returns in our generation, in our lifetime, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, will he find you and I living faithfully and courageously, standing firm for him? And of course, our knee-jerk reaction to to that question, the knee-jerk answer that I gave was, well, of course, Jesus, you'll find faith because I'm going to be here. And I'm going to be standing firm no matter what. Let me just tell you, while strong conviction is good, false bravado is not. And the Lord has a way of dividing the one from the other. Listen to the word of caution that the Apostle Paul would give to those with false bravado. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, he writes, If you think you are standing firm, be careful lest you fall. If you think you are standing firm, be careful lest you fall. What Paul is saying here, remember he's speaking to Christians, that word is for us. What Paul is saying here is if you or I think for a second out of some sense of bravado, of spiritual pride, that we are immune to being deceived or incapable of falling, then we have already begun to deceive ourselves. My friends, no one is immune. Simply being a Christian does not guarantee us immunity to the world's deceptions or the pressures to conform ourselves to it. As I've already said, steadily we have seen the deception growing and I don't know about you, but I feel the pressure being applied to me personally to conform to it. There are many times when I'm writing a sermon that I feel the pressure, I need to soften that because of I need to not say that because of, and it bothers me. 
but I feel that pressure, and the Lord has to confront that within me. Are you willing to still say what my word says, what I'm laying on your heart, even if the wrong person were to hear that, you could be accused of a hate crime? Under Canadian law, there are things that I have said from this pulpit that would fit the definition of a hate crime. That is the world we are living in, the pressure to conform, to compromise with the lies of Satan, and finally to capitulate to them entirely. To the pattern of this world, there is pressure being applied, and I feel it, and I think many of you do as well. I am utterly convinced that the days of living the easy, breezy Christian life without any opposition here in Canada, I am convinced those days are behind us. And you know what? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. As hard as that may be to accept, in regards to building up our most holy faith, that's a good thing. Why? Because it forces each one of us to make a decision once and for all. Am I all in with Jesus or not? In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord Jesus in his revelation to John, he said to one church, in the little city of Laodicea, he said to them, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. These are strong words from our Lord, ones that we should carefully consider. Am I lukewarm? Are we lukewarm? Are we like the church of Laodicea? There's a poem by Wilbur Reese, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I think it makes the point. He called it $3 worth of God. $3 worth of God. It goes like this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love my enemies. I want just enough for a life of ease. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. How much of God do you want to buy? Because I would tell you, my friends, $3 is not an option. That's not how he works. God does not allow or tolerate this sort of an approach to him. Jesus does not allow us to follow him according to our own terms. We don't get to dictate what our cost will be when we pick up that cross to follow him. Remember the rich young ruler. He came to the Lord sincere, obedient, followed all these things since he was a young boy. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, that treasure owns your heart. You don't own that treasure. Give it away. Come follow me. And he left sad because he couldn't do it. His heart belonged to money, not to the Lord. What has your heart Whatever has your heart has your destiny. Jesus says we cannot follow both God and money. It's one or the other. We have to follow according to his terms. And Jesus' call 
is for us to make up our minds. Either we carry the cross of self-sacrifice or don't. For there can be no in-between, and he will simply not tolerate us being lukewarm towards him forever. There comes a point where he says, enough, and I will spit you from my mouth. In verse 19, Jesus continues to say to that lukewarm Laodicean church, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. You see, Jesus' rebuke, his discipline is always done in love. In love. He loves us. He doesn't want to spit us out of his mouth. He doesn't desire that for anyone. But without earnest repentance, he will. Now the word earnest means serious in intention, showing depth and sincerity of feeling. So serious intention. Then repent Repent means to be penitent and to change one's ways, to turn away from one course of action towards another. So when you put those two together, when Jesus says to that lukewarm church, to lukewarm Christians, when he says, be earnest and repent, he means with serious intention, showing depth and sincerity of feeling, change your ways, turn from one course of being lukewarm, to another and become hot. Fire up the temperature of your faith from a lukewarm simmer to a boil. So what is the temperature of your faith today? Because the truth is none of us are immune to the danger of falling into a lukewarm faith where we simply go through the motions and yet all the while our hearts are just drifting further and further from the Lord, growing colder and colder. Even pastors, my friends, even people in my position, I am not immune to this. We can have the same process happen to us, and in fact, I would argue Satan targets us the most of all because if he can get me to grow lukewarm and fall away and drift away, then that will influence directly all of you. You probably recognize the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And there's a very interesting story behind that hymn. The words, of course, go, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. And the third verse says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Well, it was a British Baptist pastor named Robert Robinson, who penned those words at age 22, way back in 1757. He had been converted under the preaching of the great George Whitfield. And then at the age of 26, he became the pastor of Stoneyard Baptist Chapel in Cambridge. There he preached salvation through Christ alone, and the church grew up to over a thousand people who attended. But after a few years, Robert started drifting away from what he had heard. A liberal Unitarian professor challenged his belief in the Bible. And over a course of time, Robert literally fulfilled the words of his own song, where he wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. In letters written to friends, he indicated that he had in fact embraced the Unitarian doctrine, and he no longer believed that Jesus was God. He stopped reading or preaching the Bible, and his church began to decline. 
Over several years, his heart began to just grow colder and colder. He lost the joy of his salvation. He struggled in the ministry. He became utterly miserable. And one day, Robert was traveling in a stagecoach from Cambridge to London. And a young lady was reading a book. And she turned to Robinson and said to him, Sir, this is a wonderful hymn. Do you know it? And she showed him the hymn that was in the book. And at the top read, Come Thou Fount. It was his own song. He broke down and he confessed to her that he was the man who had written that song. But now he felt that he was, as the third verse had gone, he had in fact done that. He had wandered. He had left the God he loved. He thought it was all over. He couldn't go back. But the young lady said to him, But look at these other words that you wrote. You said, God's streams of mercy are never ceasing. And so through her encouragement, Robert in that moment in that stagecoach earnestly repented. And in time he rediscovered the joy of his salvation in Jesus Christ. And so restored and renewed his heart of flame, he once again began preaching the true gospel of salvation through Christ alone. And he faithfully served the Lord until his death. My friends, yes, you or I can drift away, but because of God's streams of mercy, streams of never-ending mercy, we can repent, and yes, we can return to the God we love. Our faith and our passion for Jesus, yes, it can become lukewarm. But by the indwelling power, the quickening of the Holy Spirit, our spirits can be revived, refueled, and refired for our Lord Jesus once more. And as Romans chapter 12 verse 11 tells us, this is our charge as believers. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is our charge. And this, my friends, is my fervent hope and deepest prayer for myself, for my family, and for every single one of you in this church family. That we will stand firm until the day that we see our Lord Jesus. Because think about it, my friends. Yes, there's some scary things in the word, but what a privilege to be that generation who might yet receive the Lord. I want to be found standing firm on that day, my friends. I want to see this church standing firm, counting the cost, whatever that is, to be those who, when the Lord returns, finds faithful. Amen. Lord Jesus, This is our heart's desire. That you would ignite a passion and a zeal and a fervency for you. A deeper love than just lip service, Lord. One that is willing to deny ourselves and to count the cost. So that, Lord, when you return, you ask that question, will I find faith on the earth? Oh, Lord, we pray, yes. Yes, you will find faith not from false bravado, Lord, but from deep humility and love for you, we say yes, because if we are here, we will be standing firm in you, no matter the cost.
So Lord, strengthen each one of us. Lord, if there's anyone here who recognizes and feels the conviction of the Spirit that they have been going through the motions, drifting, drifting, growing more and more lukewarm, I pray, Holy Spirit, in this moment, let them know that right now is the time to repent, to be earnest and repent and return and to find you waiting right there. You've always been waiting right there to receive us back, to fire us up and to send us out in your power and in your name. And so, Lord, for each one of us, we pray, and for this church family, protect us, strengthen us, give us great discernment in these days, Lord. Whatever comes, help us to not be deceived. Help us to not be those who will fall away, but those who stand firm. And being found in you, we'll welcome you on that day. We pray all of these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.